Hi, I'm Dan Lukasik from warriorswithdepression.com. Today's guest is Dr. Margaret Wernberg. Dr. Wernberg is a clinical psychologist in Naperville, Illinois. She's the author of six books on the treatment of anxiety and depression, published by W.W. Norton, including The 10 Best Ever Depression Management Techniques and Anxiety and Depression, Effectively Treating the Big Two Co-Occurring Disorders. An international trainer of mental health professionals, Dr. Wernberg coaches people for problems with anxiety via internet and phone. She's a frequent contributor to the award-winning magazine Psychotherapy Networker, and she blogs on depression for the magazine Psychology Today. Thank you for being with us today, Dr. Wernberg. I'm happy to be here, Dan. Okay. I think for our audience, uh, I think the best place to start what is the difference between sadness and depression, and why do people confuse the two so often? Well, because depression comprises sadness. It, sadness is a response to a specific situation in which we have usually some kind of a loss, uh, a loss of self-esteem, a loss of a loved one, the loss of a desired goal. And depression is really more about the energy, whether it's mental energy or physical energy, to make an effective response. And so sadness is an appropriate and transient emotion, mm -hmm. but depression sticks around and it affects all of our daily behaviors and interactions with others. Well, it, what causes depression then? You know, uh, sadness, as you say, is an appropriate response to loss. What is depression a response to, or what are the causes of depression? Well, over the course of my career, I've developed the idea that there are four potential causes. And this comes from my working with people for 40 years. It comes with doing reading a lot of research. I think the first cause is probably... Genetics, you are born with a brain that's going to tend towards depression because of dysfunction of your neurotransmitters in your brain. Uh, so there's a genetic predisposition to, to depression that can exist. And with poor self-care, poor nutrition, you may end up with uh, stimulating or starting that feeling of depression, of low energy, of low interest in the world around you. And then if you pull back from the world around you, now you start to have fewer experiences that keep you interested in the world. Another possible and really probable cause is uh, with people who are experiencing situational stress that goes on and on and on. And that could be the stress of not being able to earn enough money and you're working two jobs and you've got kids and you just have a life filled with stress. It could be the stress that comes on caring for somebody in your family circle who's got um, a, a disability or in chronic illness that increases with severity over time. So you, you're stuck in this stress and you deplete yourself and you can become depressed. The state of depression is a lot like the state of being sick, 
where, you know, like if you had the flu, you wouldn't feel much like eating or drinking. You wouldn't feel like going out and playing a rousing game of tennis. If somebody says, oh, let's let's watch a TV show that's really interesting, you may go, yeah, I want to go to sleep instead. Because that's healing, to pull back from the world like that. People have the same feelings when they're depressed, but those feelings don't lead towards healing because they're persistent. Two other causes that people would certainly be aware of are trauma, experiencing significant trauma in your life, or coming from what's called early childhood adversity, where early in your childhood you were not treated well, you were neglected, or uh, had some other kind of abusive situation. And those two very difficult experiences can lead people to function in a depressed way. One of the things that I hear from a lot of audiences or people that contact our website is this whole issue of stigma. And as a person who's had depression uh, myself for the past 15 years, it's something I've had to deal with. Why is there so much stigma surrounding depression? Well, I think part of it is because that we have this mentality in our culture, you should be able to pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. Um, and we look at people who are low energy, who aren't completing tasks, uh, and, and we judge them as, as doing it on purpose. There, among people who aren't depressed, there's the impression that you could just decide to do it differently. And, and, and in some respects, uh, many people with depression do it to themselves. I was speaking with a 21-year-old a uh, client of mine just the other day who said, um, I can't make myself do the work, mm-hmm. and I hate it that I am that lazy. So mm-hmm. he judges himself as lazy, even though it's the depression robbing him of energy and mental uh, mm-hmm. tenacity. And so even people judge themselves to be wrong, lazy, bad, when they believe they should do better. So I think we have a cultural expectation. You should be more productive. And we don't see this as the medical problem that it really is. It's just that it's not a very visible medical problem. In the past 40 years or so that you have been a therapist and have treated people with depression, What have you observed about uh, the rate of depression in the country and our understanding of it in the past 40 years? I think the rate of depression, uh, everybody would agree, is growing, that more and more people are suffering depression. And there are different reasons why we look at this. Um, uh, Culturally, one of them is the American culture is a highly stressed culture. But it's stress not over um, and I was about to say not over life and death, but that is certainly the case for many people who are living in poverty where they really are, are stressed mm. by where's the next meal coming from. But usually uh, in our culture what we look at is the this, this stress of always needing to do more, be more, get mm. more, status and money. And, and that's not a very good way to feel good about yourself because there's a limit. And and then when we hit a limit of time, hit a limit of money, hit a limit of talent or ability, a limit of resources or access to achievement. Well, following up on what you just, yeah, following up on what you just said, I mean, earlier you talked about some potential causes of depression, including genetics, 
uh, family of origin. Uh, but it seems to me what you're talking about right now is the culture, the culture that we live in and its connection to depression. Would that be true? Yes, it would be from my point of view that we have a culture that um, values productivity, money and status, and not everybody can achieve goals of status or financial success, and uh, it gets depressing to see how valuable those seem to be. We don't value something everybody can do, like be a person of good character. Hmm. Uh, we value how much status you've got, which is very different. Mm -hmm. So I see that as a cultural growth, and I think that um, Andrew Weil, who's a real guru of mental, of physical health mm -hmm. and mental health, says that he thinks that stress equals inflammation <laughs> and in, in your whole body, and that inflammation is a trigger for depression. Um, why did you write the book, uh, The Ten Best Ever Depression Management Techniques? I mean, I was in the bookstore at Barnes & Noble, uh, oh, maybe six months ago, and the, the purple cover uh, of your book jumped out, and I saw that title, and uh, it's a great read, and I recommend all my readers and listeners uh, to lawyerswithdepression.com pick it up. Why did you write the book? I wrote it because I believe both consumers and therapists, this category, need ideas for what to do right now other than investigate in some more general way a life history. What can you do today that will make you feel somewhat better, that will start you moving out of the depression? And I wanted to present as many practical ideas as I could that would help people start to lift out of depression often with the help and advice of a therapist, but also for the general public to read this book and go, oh, there are things I can do that will make me feel better. And they're simple. They're not complicated. Could you share with our listeners uh, some of the techniques that you recommend in the book? Yeah. So let's start with somebody who's kind of low energy. Almost everybody who's depressed is doing something, even while they're depressed. Playing a game on their phone, watching TV or watching Netflix, they're doing something, even it, unless they're sleeping, of course. But, but what I want to do is use what you're already doing to help you motivate to do something you think you should do. So, for example, very often people with depression aren't doing good self-care. They're not doing good care of their environment. They're not doing the dishes. They're not doing the laundry, stuff like that. So if you just think about household stuff for a sec, what I want you, my clients to do is break a task down into two component parts. Like you're going to do the laundry, the first thing you have to do is pick it up off the floor, okay? Mm -hmm. So I don't want you to think, oh, I have to get all the laundry done. If you're depressed, that won't work. What I want you to do is think, all I have to do is pick up the dirty clothes in the family room. And then I'm going to sit down for 15 minutes and do what I'm willing to do anyway, play a game on the phone or turn on the Netflix. And set, literally set a timer for 15 minutes of enjoyment of your show. And then when the timer goes off, you just get up and pick up the clothes off the floor of your bedroom. Mm -hmm. Little pieces, okay? What we know about depression is that small accomplishment is perceived in the brain as positive and encouraging, and you start to mm -hmm. feel, oh, I could do something for myself. And you begin to have just a little raise in your overall energy. And if you can do that persistently, pretty soon you get the task of doing the laundry over with. It may take a few days, 
but it's done. And then you really have a positive self-appraisal. That's what I'm going for, for example, with a very simple way to think about raising your energy through small increments. So it's in, in true in, in practice and your observations that behavior and oftentimes small steps, small behaviors affect neurochemistry. They do indeed because when you take an action and it has a positive outcome, you have just changed the level of a neurochemical called dopamine. Dopamine, I call it the James Brown of the brain. It's the <laughs> I feel good. When, when dopamine is released in your brain, you feel better. And so we know that people who decide, I'm going to do this, then do it, they get a raise in dopamine. They've just changed your neurochemistry. And with, uh, you know, I have to get to this uh, because time is short, but I wanted to get to your second book, Anxiety and Depression, Effectively Treating the Big Two Co-Occurring Disorders. And uh, starting with my own experience, uh, I struggle with both uh, anxiety and depression, with depression being the primary diagnosis, but so many people I meet uh, struggle with both. Why are the two so co-occurring, or why do they co-occur together? Uh, And sometimes they do not. Can you help us understand that a little bit? Yes. Um, Very often, if if you're looking at brain function and structure, what you see in people who have both anxiety and depression, which, by the way, is about 50% of the time people who have one have the other, Hmm. and often the anxiety comes first and it's not treated well. There's a neurochemical called serotonin, which is related to something called rumination, or you might think of it as brooding. And when people brood, where they go over and over a failure or a fear, they get stuck mentally. And it raises anxiety because it's hard to solve a problem that you're just brooding about. And it raises depression because you don't feel like you're moving very much in your behavior or your thinking. Now, that's a pretty simplistic statement. Um, And people will say, yes, but there are far more theories about the underlying neurochemistry. That's true, but the chemistry that relates to brooding is related to both anxiety and depression, the repetitive, negative thinking. And in terms of your, uh, your history as a therapist treating people with anxiety and depression, are there some techniques uh, that work better with anxiety versus depression, or do all these techniques work equally uh, well with both conditions? I think you have to look at the energy level. Some people with anxiety and also depression have a, a fair amount of energy to cope with the depressive quality of repetitive negative thinking. And you can use the energy of that anxious person to be more assertive with yourself, if you will, to say, I'm, I'm going to take charge of this. But what I, what I also find, though, is there's a whole world of working, of something that works very well for anxiety depression together, is to work on mindful awareness, to try to stay in the moment, to not predict negative outcomes, but rather to pull yourself in the moment. And mindfulness, which can be done, you can meditate to stay in the moment mindfully, but you can also just keep 
pulling yourself back to this moment, what's happening now, because it gives you, it pulls you back from predicting negative outcomes and then getting upset because of what might happen. So if you stay now, it's easier to say, well, I could do this activity now. I could take this action now. Um, and all I have to worry about is now. And then you tend to get better outcomes. Um, so that's good for both anxiety and depression because anxiety is I worry about the future, I fret about the past. And depression includes I think the future will be grim. So if you stay in the moment, you're addressing both of them. As a psychologist and therapist who've worked with people with depression and anxiety now for decades, tell us a little bit, why should a person struggling with depression and anxiety come see a psychologist, a therapist? What benefits could be obtained from seeing someone such as, as yourself, and how does that work? Well, we know that medication, which is often people's first choice, can be extremely helpful. But what I say to my clients is medication can help you feel somewhat better but doesn't teach you anything about mm -hmm. managing your life. Psychotherapy, when it's practical in the way that I'm uh, looking at it through the 10 best ever depression management techniques, um, what, it, what it's teaching you is how to handle your negative mood, what to do when you don't feel energy. It's teaching you behavior that will literally rewire your brain. It talks about um, how and why nutrition and exercise are important, but also why taking even a small action in your own behalf changes your negative, excuse me, your, your um, uh, neurochemistry. So I want to say that psychotherapy immediately affects brain function. But you usually need a psychotherapist to give you ideas, help you find out how you stop yourself or block you yourself, help you find the most effective tools for you in your specific situation. And a psychotherapist can be very, very helpful in teaching you how to get rid of these negative symptoms and feel better for life. Uh, Dr. Wardenberg, what's the best way for our listeners and readers uh, to reach you, to get in contact with you? Well, if you're able to spell my name, <laughs> you can look at me look me up on margaretwarenberg.com, um, and you have access there. Um, I'm at Wehren, uh, Margaret Warenberg. I'm in Naperville, Illinois. Um, but my website has my telephone contact, and it also has a link. And if you went to Psychology Today and looked at my blog on depression, um, you would be able to get contact me through Psychology Today as well. Um, so there's uh, primarily uh, those means. I have a really good uh, contact me option on my website, margaretwarenberg.com. Well, on behalf of all our listeners uh, at LawyersWithDepression.com and readers, I want to take the time to thank you so much uh, for this insightful interview, and I think it's just going to help many people. So thank you so much, Dr. Wernberg. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it.